been in this series uh, that I've been ecstatic about since back in February where uh, Brad talked to me about us walking through the letter of Galatians. Paul is one of my favorite writers, um, mostly because he's all over the place. He's passionate. He's sometimes aggressive. He's sometimes angry. And he's so committed to the journey and the mission of the church that he's not scared to um, say what needs to be said. And so when he's writing these letters to the churches in Galatia, churches that he planted, um, I believe it's in Acts chapter 14 when he goes on his first missionary experience, um, and he goes to now modern-day Turkey to plant these churches in Galatia, um, he brings to them this new gospel, this gospel that says, hey, anyone and everyone is welcome to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's not just exclusive to the Jews. It is inclusive to everybody. And so after he then leaves to go plant churches everywhere else, um, it feels like, then Jews come into Galatia and they bring their gospel of saying, hey, no, you actually have to be um, following the Jewish laws. You have to uh, eat kosher, be circumcised, uh, practice the Sabbath, and all the other 600 plus laws that we see in the Old Testament. And so Paul gets wind of this and he is furious. There's no easier way to say it. He is ticked off. He's frustrated because of all of the work that him and his team have um, poured into these churches has now uh, been wasted. And so he writes Galatians, this long letter. They didn't have verses and chapters um, in the original text. This was one whole letter written to the Galatians, pretty much is ticked off, saying, hey, you've messed up. This gospel, this Jesus gospel, isn't just for the Jews. It's not even just for the Gentiles. It's for everyone, male, female, all races, all ethnicities, all cultures, all tongues. And it's so powerful when it is worshipped in that way. Because when you have diversity in your worship, you get to experience the whole picture of the gospel and the whole picture of Jesus. And so in the first couple of weeks, Brad um, walked us through some pretty powerful questions and some power, powerful themes. Week one, asking us, which gospel are you following? And honestly, um, you know, that's difficult for us to kind of comprehend. And so another way to say it is, are you following the American gospel or the Jesus gospel? That's kind of what Paul's dealing with um, 2,000 years ago. Are you following the Jewish gospel or the Jesus gospel? But in our culture, if Paul was writing to us today, it'd be, are you more interested in your Americans than Jesus? And then last week, Brad hit us with the throat punch, asking us the question or, or, or uh, talking about this concept of, you know, honestly, in the Western religion, we've soft-served the gospel. We soft-serve the gospel, and it's pretty easy to do for individuals who have everything on demand. I mean, we can have medicine at a minute's notice. We have access to the internet where we can answer and look up any questions that we want. We have on-demand access to peace, but that's not the Jesus gospel. As we read through the uh, Old Testament and even in the New Testament, I mean, Paul, who's the author of this letter, arrested at least three times. I mean, he was the hands and feet of Jesus, and there were consequences for that. And then in the Old Testament, they would go years and years and years without experiencing peace. But we go ten days, and we throw fit. And so we've honestly just soft-served the gospel. And today, um, I'm excited for us to take it to the next step of Galatians choosing freedom. 
in chapter 3. And so the heart of the message, if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. I want you to take a screenshot of this. Whatever it is, this is so important. Um, This is what we're going to be looking at today. The heart of the message is this, is that uh, heavenly citizenship, heavenly citizenship results in freedom. Heavenly citizenship results in freedom. Being a child of God, being a child of the maker, results in freedom. And that's what we're going to be unpacking throughout today. And so if you have your Bible with me, whether you're online or here in person, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, or be paying close attention to the screen today, as Paul walks us through just another section of this powerful letter to the Galatians. He starts off with this in verse 1, you foolish Galatians. He's halfway through his letter, and he's still ticked off. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain, So again, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Or by you believing what was heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. I want to stop there. As we've been unpacking throughout this series, you've got these two gospels, and then eventually many more gospels have formed since. But you've got, what they're dealing with is the gospel of the old covenant, that if you do A, you'll receive B. If you follow the 600 plus laws, then you will receive um, peace, salvation. That is how you would receive a relationship with God. That's the old covenant. Paul then writes, and then in the book of Hebrews, that that Old covenant is obsolete. Jesus came to fulfill the old covenant and establish a new covenant, which is now the new gospel, where salvation alone is through Jesus. There's nothing you can do. There's no laws you can follow to receive eternal life. There's only believing and living for Jesus. And that living part is crucial, and we'll be talking about that in the second half of the message Hashtag ad. And so we've got all that fun stuff where Paul is really furious. He's saying, hey, you foolish Galatians. You foolish Christians. You've been bewitched by the works of the law. What would it look like for us to be bewitched by the works of God? Let's carry on. Verse 7. Paul writes this. He says, understand then that those who have faith are children— of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. 
He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And so if you're anything like me and you're reading this, you might be wondering, okay, so then why does the law exist? If Paul is spending multiple letters, he writes about the law in um, Galatians, he writes about in Ephesians, in Romans, walking through in chapter 7 and 8 of Romans about the law being obsolete, but then there's still some importance to it. And so why does it even exist? We're going to skip down to verse 19 because Paul answers that very question. He says this, Why then was the law given at all? It's like he read our minds. It was added because of transgressions until the seed, capital S, is Jesus, to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. Paul says the law in and of itself was not the issue. And that's where he goes into further his explanation in Romans chapter 7, where we talk about the eye problem of Paul. I hate the things I do. We actually walked through that passage two weeks in a row. Myself and then Brad preached on it again. We're talking about Paul. Our sinful nature is the reason why the law was exposed. So he says this, uh, uh, do, do, uh, verse 22, but scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus might be given to those who believe. And so the law in and of itself was not the issue, but our sinful nature is being exposed by the law, and then it was kind of a double-edged sword because we continue to fail and fail and fail and then ask God for peace. Actually, if you read the book of Judges in the Old Testament, um, each judge, after the judge either passes away or leaves, then the next chapter directly following that judge starts out with, and then the Israelites did evil once again in the eyes of the Lord. And so God gave them over to their enemies. Because remember, in the Old Covenant, if you did A, you received B. That A could either be blessings— or sorry, that A could either be following God or sinning. And then the B would be a result of either following God or sinning. And so when the Israelites decided to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, God honored that decision and gave them up to their enemies. And then they would cry out to God, ask for peace. And once again, God would send another judge. And it would just be a spiral effect. So then in Jeremiah— we have this new covenant that's established that is kind of being foretold that says, hey, this isn't working out. I'm going to send a mediator. I'm going to send the seed. I'm going to send Jesus Christ to now abolish, to, or sorry, to fulfill the first covenant, old covenant, and establish the new covenant. And so now through faith in living in Jesus, we can be free. Let's move on to verse 23. Citizenship is so important. Here we go. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian of the law. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. 
have clothed yourselves with Christ. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's break down, I believe it's verse 26 first. You've got this passage where, where uh, Paul is writing and he says, hey, if you believe in God, if you have faith and you live it out, then you are children of God. Remember that heart of the message at the very beginning where it says heavenly citizenship, being a child of God, results in freedom. Heavenly citizenship results in freedom. That's an undeniable truth that those who are children of God would attest to. Would go on record to say, yeah, I experienced this unimaginable, undescribable freedom as I have accepted Jesus Christ. But then verse 28, Paul takes us a step further and he says, see, under Jesus there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor male nor female nor slave nor free. We are all one. Now, I, I want to break this down a little bit because I don't believe, um, actually, I believe it is so important that we recognize that diversity still matters. And we see that through Paul's other, other letters. In his letter to the Corinthians, we all have different gifts. Being diverse in our gifts is so important. Some of us are talented communicators. Some of us are talented with numbers, with logic, with understanding, with discernment, with generosity, with serving, with mercy, with grace. We all have different spiritual gifts. And so diversity in those gifts is important. But then also diversity in race, ethnicity, tribe, culture. We see that in Revelations, where every tribe will be represented in heaven. And it's important that because I believe to understand the full picture of worship, that diversity matters. And cultural worship matters. Understanding that that is the full picture of the gospel. But then male and female genders are also very important. We all provide in our uniqueness and our wiring Males bring something to the table. Females bring something to the table. I don't believe that Paul is saying when he says we are all one, I don't believe that he's saying to eliminate all of those labels or those gifts or those cultures to just try to find the perfect human race. I believe what Paul is saying, especially because he's writing this letter to where there is so much division, to say that, hey, nothing can exclude you from this gospel. Because the Galatians at the time, the Jews were saying, hey, Gentiles can't be a part of the kingdom until they're circumcised, until they eat kosher, until they rest on the Sabbath and do the other 600 plus laws. Hey, females aren't allowed to teach on stage until A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all of these different things. Hey, these laws and all of the foremost. And Paul comes in this. It, it's so fascinating because Paul, he praises women leadership so much. He, he's got Aquila and Priscilla who are leading a house church. And then Junia, who is believed to be one of the first apostles. And so you've got this weird few verses that say one thing about women in leadership, and then you've got many other verses that Paul himself writes who say another thing about female in leadership. And so I don't believe it's about excluding the genders and excluding the races and excluding the gifts, but it's all about finding oneness in God and saying, hey, there's inclusion here. And it's significant and it's powerful and it's important that you bring what you have to the table for the glory of God. Because through that message, we are all one. And that's the Jesus gospel. 
And if you believe that gospel, Paul says you are a citizen of heaven. And remember at the beginning of the message, heavenly citizenship results in freedom. But here's a crucial fact and something that needs to be said. Citizenship requires change. Citizenship requires change. It's not enough to just show up on Sundays. It's not enough to just give a little bit within your comfort. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. Citizenship requires change. Actually, James writes about this in his book where he says, hey, even the demons have faith. Even the demons believe in the one God and they shudder because it's not just about believing. You see, James writes that faith without works is dead. You see, this gospel should change you. And this is the theme that we've been talking about throughout this whole series that Brad has um, hit so hard in the first couple of weeks. It's not, it might change you. It's, it will change you. That this gospel requires change. And so if you believe in God, but you don't really feel a change, then you don't really believe in God. You're not really living for God. You're not sacrificing enough. And whenever we talk about that, it, it can be difficult for us as Christ followers to hear because we question, okay, well, didn't you just say that we're not saved by the law, by the works of the things we do? Correct, you're not saved by that. You're saved by Jesus, but because you're saved by Jesus, the result should be change, should be work, should be moving forward. It's kind of the reverse. The first covenant said, you do this to receive salvation— now this covenant says, you've received salvation, now do this. Isn't that so powerful, that gospel, that we should and are required to be changed, to be generous, to be sacrificial, to make sure that we are setting people up for kingdom growth, where we are loving, where we are sharing truth, where we are being the church. There needs to be an intensity within our love, where we find that fullness of grace and truth, where we're walking with difficult people, where we are giving to the poor, where we are empowering the least of these. There needs to be that intensity and that urgency of us saying, hey, this is kingdom living. And if we are children of God, citizenship requires change, but heavenly citizenship results in freedom. It's a byproduct. You have both. You have the command— and you have the blessing. So live in both of them. Freedom from your anxiety, freedom from your depression, freedom from your financial stress, freedom from your instability, your family issues, your job insecurities, whatever you need freedom from. Freedom from your pride, freedom from your um, immoralities, your addictions, all of these things. Wherever you are establishing freedom in your life, lean into God. And if you're wondering, okay, well, I believe in God, but I'm not quite there yet. What do I do? Reach out to us. Reach out to us and we can walk with you. We can help you take some personality tests. We can help you um, dive deeper into your timeline with God, your spiritual growth. Dive deeper into serving others, forcing yourself to do things that are uncomfortable. Because I truly believe, and I believe this is the heart of Galatians chapter 3, where Paul's saying, we're so foolish when we live for ourselves. We're so foolish when we live for ourselves. But heavenly citizenship results in freedom. You don't have to do this alone.
I've got a story that I want to share as we close up today. Um, this was a concept for me that wasn't really made known until sophomore year of college. Now, I've grown up in the church my entire life. I would say I believed in God my entire life. As a pastor's kid, it's kind of hard not to. Um, but then comes the rebellious phase that a lot of PKs go through. See, my rebellious phase is a little bit different. And as I've shared multiple times, and as many of you know, um, my dad being the lead pastor here at Crossbridge and then passing away unexpectedly um, at the time, when I experienced that, I never like went on this huge rebellious phase where um, I fell into my addictions or I kind of walked away from the church. It was more so like a pride thing where like I tried to convince myself that I was okay and that my relationship with God was okay. But I, in four year stretch, I had only opened my Bible two or three times. Didn't see an issue with that. I had only gone to church a few times. Didn't see an issue with that. I had only given generously a few times. Didn't see an issue with that. But I was convincing myself that no, because I'm not doing— um, um, addictive things or going out and ruining my life through, um, you know, uh, like giving into lifestyles that are cultural, I thought I was doing pretty okay. But then sophomore year, something hit. Something hit me hard, and I was exhausted of being exhausted. I was tired of being tired. Does anyone know what I mean when I say that? Where you're experiencing something over and over again, and you feel like you're doing okay, but in reality, inside, you're like, okay, something's got to change. So I remember going to chapel, finally getting myself to go to chapel. I was just kind of a mess. I was broken. I was disturbed. And I sat down in a chair, and one of my now best friends at the time, it's cool how God works in that, didn't even know her, got up to share her testimony of how she um, immigrated from London, a school and work visa, was at North Park, and uh, getting an education— and just was sharing about this incredible faith. How much trust she had in God. Like, there wasn't anything like super powerful about that specific testimony, but I saw her faith, and I remember looking at my own life. I'm like, I want what she's got. Like, there's something about the way that she's teaching right now that I'm envious of. I want that. I want to experience that. So I closed my eyes, and I remember very vividly seeing Jesus on the cross— with the words, you are my child above the cross. And so I don't know why I decided to wear a long sleeve shirt on a day I'm teaching on the tattoo I got, but this is piety to Theos. Not Thanos, which would be cool too, but it's child of God. Child of God. And that is sophomore year. I've had mentors, friends, family members share. That's when they started to see the shift in my life. It wasn't even like a huge earthquake-type situation. It was just me saying, God, I want what she's got. I see the change, and I'm ready to start living it. And from that moment forward, there's been a lot of mistakes, a lot of sin, a lot of giving into selfish pleasures, but there's been a lot of grace and a lot of God. My life's not perfect. It's far from it. And I've felt very humbled in the last two weeks to that truth. But it's been so good being a citizen of heaven and feeling it, living it, and walking in it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for this message, for Galatians 3, for Paul, for his honesty, for his bluntness, but then also his grace and his truth. God, I'm grateful for your message today, for your heart. I'm grateful, God, for the opportunity to share it. And I pray, Lord, that we would lean into this freedom and use that freedom 
for change. In your name I pray. Amen.